Hoagie Guys, welcome to episode 88 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives in the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, your old gal pal, Sissy Spacek. How's it going? Good to hear it. Always good to hear that you're doing well. Um, if you're hearing this, that means that you are listening to this episode a day later than you're supposed to, and I take 100% blame for that. It was my fault. I recorded an episode, and I had the episode edited, and it just fucking blew chunks. Like, it it just sucked dicks. You know what I mean? It was not good. The couple was kind of boring, and it was one of those episodes where I felt like I needed to really, really, like, I don't know. I just had to work too hard to make the people I was talking about interesting. So, and that happens sometimes. Like, sometimes, like, I'll get suggestions, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, how did I not think to do that? Or I'll, like, write something down, like, I'll write a couple down and save it for another time. And then I go back and I'm like, oh, so literally nothing happened while they were together. Like, they just, these are two kind of boring people, but they give off the illusion that they're interesting or that they had this wild relationship when really they didn't. Um, I'm not going to say who the couple was because I may try and do it again. (laughs) You never know. There's, um, you know, sometimes one news article is the thing that completely makes an entire episode of this podcast. So I'm going to tinker with it and maybe come back to it later. And if I never do, then I'll tell you later what it was and we'll laugh about it over tea. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode, though. You obviously read the description. This is my safe space and you guys know that. I love a 90s couple, I love an 80s couple, I love a 70s couple, hell, I love a couple from the 30s, I love couples, and I love celebrity, but a couple during this specific time period, the early 2000s, you know is really just like, I mean, for me, that's like sitting down on a lounger with a good book in front of a rainy window with a cup of coffee, like, it's just a safe, comfortable, warm, fuzzy, cozy environment for me, and today we're going to be talking about... Nicole Richie and DJ AM, aka Adam Goldstein. And um, I'm excited. I've wanted to talk about this couple for a very long time, again, since the beginning of this podcast. And <clears throat> I didn't know how I could really do it because I've talked about Paris like incessantly. And uh, I covered the simple life so intensely. But I went back and re listened and kind of came to the conclusion that I covered the simple life almost entirely from the perspective of Paris Hilton. Uh, I didn't really take into account the fact that Nicole Richie was fresh out of rehab while filming that first season of that show. And, you know, to be completely honest, is kind of the reason that the show is what it is. Like, everybody knows that. I think Paris even knows that. You know what I mean? That no matter what you say or no matter whether they're friends or, like, whatever, no matter how much time has passed, um, I'm actually re-watching The Simple Life right now because it's on Tubi for free. And, um, this is Nicole Richie's show. This is Nicole Richie's show. You know what I mean? Paris is the straight guy, which is 100% necessary. Uh, as we saw with the, the season where they were completely separated, that was scripted and terrible. Um, it doesn't work when they're not together. You need a straight man. You need an Abby to an Alana. You need, you need that person to laugh at the other person's insanity. And, um... It, it wouldn't have worked otherwise, but this is Nicole Richie's show. This is that the, the Simple Life is a story about how Nicole Richie became a star and emerged from just sort of like broke from what's the term? What's that term about the phoenix or whatever? She rose up 
from the flames and whatnot and the fire and all that. And came out this like fashion darling and this like I- fashion icon. Um, you know what I mean? I mean, there's just so much to discuss. So I'm excited. We're four minutes in and I'm already rambling. It literally takes me no time to go on a tangent that I can't stop. Anyway, Nicole and Adam started dating in January of 2004. That's what it says on the internet. But from what I've read, they actually started dating sometime in 2003. But that's just housekeeping and it doesn't really matter. Um, during the span of their relationship, they broke up a couple times. Um, but they ended things for good in spring of 2006. And, you know, Adam represents this time in Nicole Richie's life where, you know, she was kind of at the peak of whatever it meant to be Nicole Richie in the early 2000s. And she was going through this really intense public image shift. Her body was changing rapidly. And she was becoming, like I said, this sort of fashion icon, um, you know, in her own right. And she was becoming hugely influential to youth culture. I don't think people give Nicole Richie enough credit. Again, I say this all the time that people just kind of get lumped into boxes and it's like, Nicole's narrative is that she became famous from the simple life and then became skinny. Now she likes clothes. It's like, well, there's a little bit more going on than that. During this specific time, Nicole Richie was like one of the most influential people when it came to youth culture, like in the world. By far, like every girl in America wanted to look and dress and be like Nicole Richie and for better or for worse, if you know what I mean, you know what I mean? Like we, we have, we're going to talk about Nicole's weight issues and the body dysmorphia and this sort of, um, this like pro anorexia period of pop culture where all of the women that you know, young girls looked up to sort of flaunted eating disorders in a weird way, but were very coy about it and would give those, you know, sort of stock answers that a publicist would tell them to say. But there was this sort of, um, this like anorexic movement that was happening in the early 2000s, which is, uh, which is terrifying. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I also don't think we take enough time to examine how much of Nicole's body has been a part of her story you know when it comes to the press and the media and her ups and downs like a lot of it is tied to her weight whether she's you know a little bit thicker or too thin there's always some sort of narrative around nicole richie's body and i can't imagine like what that would feel like um you know she was described as paris's chunky friend for many years her chunky funny friend and um you know, not only was she sort of like quietly battling this eating disorder, but she had inadvertently become the face of the skinny trend of the 2000s. Like Nicole, Nicole Richie and uh, and Mary Kate Olsen were really battling neck and neck for being the girls that were influencing the girls to truly become real thin. Everybody wanted to be 90 pounds. Here's the thing. Let me just fully paint you a narrative if you're too young to remember this time period or maybe too old to have cared at the time. Every girl wanted to be real thin, be covered in layers. And when I say layers, I mean like a V-neck and a flannel and a leather jacket and then some giant scarf and a giant floppy hat 
and nine million bangles and a ton of rings and a skirt with tights and big giant heels and massive sunglasses and a purse that was too big for your arm. You know, it was like a, and then also you had to be carrying like nine million things in your hands at one time. It's like a Blackberry and a Starbucks and then another phone for no reason and like a book about Kabbalah and, uh, you know, a giant water bottle. You know what I mean? Like just for no, just a, a time of true excess and, uh, and, um, body dysmorphia. And as we know, obviously, DJ AM is somebody who had a really tragic life. Um, I actually didn't know about, about DJ AM's upbringing. I'm gonna refer to him, by the way, I just burped. So here, my co-host, welcome, my co-host Gas. Um, I actually didn't know about, about DJ AM's, um, childhood and his upbringing before doing this episode, so... That was, uh, that was intense to go back and, and learn about how he was raised and how intense his childhood was. By the way, I'm calling him Adam. I'm not going to refer to him as DJ AM this entire time. But anyway, let's go ahead and start with Nicole, obviously. So Nicole grew up in Los Angeles, of course. She was adopted, as we all know, by Lionel Richie at age three. And, uh, her dad, Peter Michael Escovado is the brother of Sheely and actually works in the music industry. He's a musical director. Uh, he does television shows. Um, he helps produce big, giant, you know, massive tours for really important artists. He's worked with Barbara Streisand, uh, Mariah Carey, Patti LaBelle. Um, he's toured with Lionel. And... Um, yeah, Nicole's birth mother, her name is Karen Moss. And uh, at the time, Lionel was married to Brenda Harvey Ritchie. I actually have a quote here from Lionel. I think this is from People Magazine. He said, I went to a Prince concert and there on stage in the middle of the concert was this four-year-old kid playing the tambourine. So I went backstage and I knew the mother and I knew the father. And of course, they were having difficulties in their relationship. So I said, while you guys are having the difficulty, <laughs> while you guys are in the midst of a divorce, why don't I take your child? No, um, and while you guys are having difficulties with your relationship, I said, um, the kid is sitting there in limbo. So I'll tell you what I'll do. Just put the kid in the house until, or so put the kid in my house until the tour is over. And then we'll sort it out later. So it took about maybe a year for me to just fall in love with this little girl. And she was as cute as a button. And of course, by that time, I was dad. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to make everyone wish that they had adopted you. You're going to make everyone in your family wish they had actually had a chance to get you back. And that's when I said, let's adopt this baby. I just literally added the, the word baby. He did not say baby. I don't know where that came from. And I think you could tell by the way I started it out. He said, let's adopt her. Let's adopt this baby. Um, so Nicole's grandfather, uh, or godfather, I'm sorry, growing up was Michael Jackson. Her pseudo uncle was Prince. And her godmother was Nancy Davis. Well, she's the daughter of Marvin Davis. Well, the oil tycoon. Well, the owner of 20th Century Fox and the Beverly Hills Hotel, etc. Nancy is also the mother of Brandon Davis, a.k.a. Greasy Bear, the true innovator of the term fire crotch and the inventor of TMZ. And more importantly, the brother of Jason Davis, a.k.a. Mr. Gummy Bear. You better keep up. 
because we're here. This is happening, by the way. Like this is this is a good nasty early two thousands pungent episode. Like it, it's it's it stinks with early two thousands isms, and I'm so you know that when you mention Brendan Davis, like shit's about to get real. You know what I mean? So as a kid. Nicole competed in figure skating, and uh, it actually became something that she was so skilled in. Uh, she totally excelled, and she started competing on a national level. Um, she also played the piano and the violin and the cello. And uh, when Nicole was a little girl, Brenda and Lionel went through this really horrible, bitter, and public divorce. Uh, Lionel was caught cheating with Brenda Ritchie, um, who he went on to marry later, and uh, Nicole went to live with Brenda and was enrolled at Buckley Prep School in L.A. where she met Paris and Nikki and uh, many of the girls that she would gallivant <laughs> throughout L.A. with in her uh, in her later years. And, um, yeah, her parents' way of sort of making sure that their children weren't affected by the divorce was to spoil them and to never, ever, 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 ever say no. Like, reading about Nicole Richie's childhood, it makes you understand, it really makes, it, it helps you grasp, A, that having money really isn't everything. And this is coming from a person who is fully broke right now. Like, literally waking up in night terrors because I need money so badly. Um, but now I'm like, damn, like, Nicole Richie grew up having everything she could ever want, but, like, also at the same time, nothing at all. <laughs> that was very Rose from Titanic. Um, Nicole told Vanity Fair, she said, I learned the power of manipulation very early. She admits, I was so hurt by the divorce, so I chose to spin it so that it could work out for me. She said, I liked the fact that my parents weren't speaking because I could play them against each other. I was very free to come and go as I pleased. I didn't really blame it. I said, I don't really blame anybody for it. Everyone wanted to make me happy. Their way of making me happy was to say yes to everything I ever wanted. But I don't think a little girl should have that much freedom. And Nicole actually credits this as being, you know, a large part of the reason that she went on to become a drug addict and someone who went on to be known in Hollywood as this bad girl who was wild and crazy and would get in bar fights and you know, attack girls and, like, tried all these crazy drugs and stuff. Because why would you not when you're wealthy and you've never been told that you're not allowed to do something? Um, and I'm thinking about doing a part two to this episode with uh, about her and Benji. <laughs> her and Joel. Ah, Benji, how dare I? Um, an episode about her and Joel. Uh, but he did say when they got married or when they were about to start dating and they were about to get married that he basically gave her an ultimatum and he was like, I really like you. You're really cool. And I want to be with you, but you've got to clean yourself up because Joel, um, as we've talked about the, the Madden brothers are actually very conservative. Um, they're very straight laced and uptight and they don't really like to party or drink or do any, any excessive, uh, fun having so he gave her an ultimatum and basically forced her to clean up her act um lionel also said in that vanity fair article he said she went to he said she went to all the hip schools she had all the hip friends and she went to all the hip parties and when kids go to the best school and they have the best drugs and the best sex and the best accidents uh lionel 
in the best accidents, Lionel says, uh, when you say that you can't have a car, she pulls up in a Ferrari and you say, where did you get that car? And then she says, my friend gave it to me. When a 17-year-old girl gets a Ferrari for her first car and wrecks it in the next week, uh, her father gets her another one. In Beverly Hills, if a kid says, I'm sleeping over at a friend's house, the sleepover turns out to be in Las Vegas. And like most people, Nicole used drugs to mask the emotional pain she was going through um, because of her parents' bitter divorce. And, uh, you know, I also think that there was some un some untapped abandonment issues that had to be popping up there. I mean, her dad, her Nicole's narrative is that her parents didn't feel like they could take care of her. So they gave her to Lionel and that's what she's always said. But I can't imagine that that's always been the way she's felt about it. Even though living with Lionel Richie and having him as a father seems like it would be great. That's got to affect you, especially when you're young and angsty and mean. And you know what I mean? Like your parents didn't want you. So they just gave you to these people. But they're also like out there and around. And your dad's like going out on tour and and touring with Barbara Streisand. And you occasionally have to see him, not in person because he's never been a part of your life, but like in the world. Um, So, yeah, I think that even though she was living in this giant mansion and that she had this life of excess, you know, I think she was still suffering from some really extreme abandonment issues. And the other thing that I found that's very interesting about Nicole during this specific time period is that when her parents were divorcing, they kind of left her to fend for herself. Not in like a, we don't love you way, but just like emotionally and physically, like we can't be here for you right now. You know what I mean? So she really had no authoritative figure. She had nobody telling her right from wrong. She was just kind of out there with an unlimited amount of money and living in this weird like mental limbo. She started smoking weed at 14. Um, She then graduated to coke and that led her to a pill addiction. Um, She would take Xanax, Valium, and Clonopin. And uh, while she was already high one night, she was out at a club and she tried china white heroin for the first time and was immediately hooked she said to me it was the epitome of caring about absolutely nothing there were points when my mom would come home and scream and scream at me about something and i literally didn't care about anything she was saying it was like watching a really dramatic movie with the volume turned all the way down i thought i was getting away with everything when the reality was that i was arrested three times it had five car accidents where two of them were totals she ended up attending college for two years. She went to the University of Arizona with Courtney uh, Kardashian. And she said in an interview, I went to the University of Arizona and I stopped because I went there for two years and felt like I had experienced college or whatever. And I was over it. I liked Hollywood better. Then comes the simple life. And as I mentioned, I talked really in-depthly before about the production of the show and how it came about and everybody who went into, everybody who was basically working behind the scenes to make the show a success. Um, So if you want a really, really super intense deep dive about the production and all that shit of The Simple Life, I would suggest going back and listening to the Paris Hilton and Nick Carter episode. I think it was like the third episode I ever recorded of this podcast. Um, but as we know from the previous ep- from that previous discussion, uh, the Simple Life was meant to be the sort of reality version of Green Acres, right? So the original format called for 
um, an entire family to be dropped off in the middle of nowhere and forced to work. Oh, I just choked. Do you hear that? Jesus. <laughs> God. Um, and the, the concept then became um, a transition to two wealthy friends that then became... Um, wait, sorry. When I choked, I got sidetracked. <laughs> I like truly saw my life flash before my eyes for a second. Like, I don't know where that came from, but I just choked like really intensely on my own spit. Um, so the original format was a family dropped in the middle of nowhere, working in a podunk town. The whole family has jobs and they report back to like a, 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 a farmhouse or whatever. Then that concept transitioned to sisters. So, Paris and Nikki would go to this like place or whatever and work and whatever. It'd be the simple life of sisters, whatever. You find you get it. And then that transitioned to friends. So Paris asked uh, Kimberly Stewart and um, Casey Johnson to do it with her, and they both turned it down. And that's how Nicole became her sidekick, and the rest is her story. Um now, the really interesting thing that I didn't mention in the previous episode is that Nicole knew she wouldn't be able to film the season, obviously wasted and on fucking white China heroin. So she told her parents, I, I can't go on TV doing crack. Like, I need to get help. I need to be clean. Um, so she actually was released from rehab 10 days before filming. So the Nicole that you see in the first season of The Simple Life is literally fresh out of rehab, newly sober, kind of. You know what I mean? Like sober to a point, I suppose. And in rehab, she'd also gained some weight. Um, obviously, you're sitting in rehab with no phone. You can't do anything. You can't talk to anybody. So she put on a little bit of extra weight, and that then became her narrative that she was Paris's chubby friend. And, um, as I mentioned earlier, I am doing, I'm watching The Simple Life right now. Again, it's on Tubi for free if you want to watch it. They have every season. They also, Tubi is everything. They also have every season of every, um, celebrity television show on VH1. Like, they have, like, Strange Love and Rock of Love and I Love New York. And they even have I Love Money. Can we talk? Um... But one of the things that I, f I find endlessly fascinating about this show um, is that throughout the run of the show, Paris becomes way more and more dependent on Nicole to make the show entertaining. It starts off, everybody's mindset is that this show is supposed to propel Paris into this, this you know, next phase of her career. It's supposed to make her a star. And Nicole's just kind of there. You know what I mean? She's just kind of there. And maybe that's why she was so so much more entertaining not to say that paris wasn't entertaining but you know what i mean nicole really didn't have anything to gain or lose like she was asked to do it and thought it would be fun this was supposed to be paris's big break and you know as the show progresses you can you can definitely tell that paris becomes really comfortable just sort of depend like leaning on nicole to make the scenes they film interesting and fascinating and funny and when paris is alone she is kind of terrible. She doesn't, she's uncomfortable on camera. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to say. And you can actually see the, um, I know that Paris says that she like, 
she uses her baby voice as a way to like troll people and people think she's stupid and it's her pretending to be dumb. I actually see Paris's baby voice as an insecurity. I think that Paris is really insecure, not only about her voice, but just in general. And uh, I think that her confidence is projected kind of the way that Mariah Carey, I think, is very insecure. Like, I think Mariah Carey is, like, one of the most insecure women I've ever seen on television. And all of her confidence and, like, diva behavior is projected. You know what I mean? Um, And you can see Paris sort of fall into those crutches. Like, when she's uncomfortable, she just starts talking like a baby because she doesn't know what to do. But, um, I also find it really interesting that in the first season of the show... Nicole does play that sidekick role, kind of. You know, she's a sidekick that has funny quips and stuff. But then, when the public, you know, based on the public's response, Nicole was being told, and the producers have said this too, that she was the reason that they were watching the show. Nicole was the one that people were tuning in for. You know what I mean? She was the one that was bringing in ratings. It wasn't really Paris. It was Paris initially because people wanted to see the girl in the sex tape. But Nicole became the focus of the show. And when you watch the second season of The Simple Life, it's you're watching a woman who's learned to harness her power. Like, she's now the supreme. You know what I mean? Like, she gets it and she knows and she's confident in her, like, comedic timing. And she's a fuck. She's a true star. And that second season of the show, the road trip season, Nicole Richie is a true fucking shining star. It's unbelievable. Um... As I mentioned previously, that in the previous episode, The Simple Life premiered to 13 million viewers. And um, obviously, like I said, America wanted to see these two, you know, what they perceived as bimbos, these like wealthy, dumb girls be tortured by hillbillies, basically. And um, it was unimaginable that, you know, a person on mainstream television would also be in a sex tape. Like the thought that you could turn on the TV and watch somebody on Fox at 8 p.m. with 13 million other people, and then go on your computer and watch them give a black light blowjob in hooker boots. I mean, it was uh, it was mind blowing. It was truly mind bending. Um, we've also talked at nauseum about the fact that Paris and Nicole became known as the first ever socialites to become famous because of a reality show. But Nicole never really gets any credit for that. Like, when you look back on that period in pop culture, it's always Paris who's sort of cited as the first person to ever become famous for being famous. When Nicole was right there alongside, really honestly sort of steering the ship. You know what I mean? And I wonder how much of her resentment towards Paris when they weren't talking, um, aside from the fact that Paris is, like, vapid and I can't imagine what it would be like to be friends with her, that would annoy me. Like, that would piss me the fuck off. You know what I mean? Paris gets all the credit for all these, um, she gets all the credit for the shine that Nicole kind of helped her get, you know? Um, there would be no Paris without a Nicole Richie. There absolutely would not be a Paris Hilton without a Nicole. Nicole really was, like, the reason that that show propelled it, and she propelled Paris. And, um, once the show premiered, Nicole's identity as a public figure, was sort of set in stone at that point, right? She was the girl who would show up on a red carpet with this, you know, insane multicolored weave and maybe pull out a tit and give a peace sign and go on her way. You know what I mean? Leg warmers in tow. Um, 
when really, I, I think that we really sort of pushed her to lean in to the worst parts of herself. Do you know what I mean? As we did with a lot of girls during that time, but with Nicole, I think we really were like, yes, girl, keep doing those drugs that make you fun. Please, you're amazing on black on fucking heroin. Ah, love you on crack. Keep it up. Keep pulling those titties out, too. Ah, love it. Amazing, Nicole. You're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in 2003, Nicole was asked to walk in the Joey and T fashion show in L.A., and uh, she received a warning from the designers that they didn't want her to do anything outrageous. They were like, please just, like, walk down the aisle or the catwalk and, like, you know what I mean? Walk back and just be normal and uh, don't do anything too outrageous, which led her to flashing her newly pierced nipples at the end of the catwalk, which went on to become an iconic photo. <laughs> it's also hilarious. Like, I, I want to be in a room where Nicole Richie has to look at that picture now. Like, this, like, chic vintage boho woman you know mother of two wife you know this like lady looking at a picture of herself at like 22 with a mohawk the most insane tan i think i've ever seen and just proudly flashing her titties at the end of a catwalk and also like in the most early 2000s fashion show fashions i've ever seen not to sound like Dwight from The Real Housewives of Atlanta, but, like, who puts on a fashion show with no fashions? You know what I mean? Just, like, mohawks and kitten heels and nine million belts and uh, mesh fingerless gloves and, like, graphic tees. It's like, oh, okay. Fashion, huh? You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So... Go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.